that will be when we all sing Jesus we'll sing and shout the victory we'll sing and shout the victory We will weep no more. No more tears. No more shame. No more struggle. No more walking through the valley of the shadow. No cancer. No depression. Just the brightness of your glory Just the wonder of your grace Everything as it was meant Good morning I love this song It says there's a new name written down in glory And it's mine Can you say that? Has your name been written down in glory? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ today? Uh, There's no better day than today. Uh, So um, let's stand and let's sing it together.
Amen. You can have a seat real quick. I'd like to welcome you to worship. Thanks for being here. We got off to a good start. I felt like I was in a Dr. Seuss loop there for a second, but I figured it out. But, uh, uh, yes, exactly, exactly. But we want to welcome you here, uh, especially if you're online. Thanks for, I am Sam, I am because... No, that, 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 that's an option. Probably not for the church, but, you know. But, yes, thank you. But we're glad you're here. And uh, if you're watching online, come join the chaos whenever you want. And uh, we love being together and worshiping, and we look forward to uh, uh, praising God and hearing from his word. And we're going to pray and, and get into that in a second. But before that, I'll remind you about guest cards. If you're a guest with us, uh, there's a guest card in the back of the pew in front of you. If you don't mind filling those out at the end of the service, you can take it to the Welcome Center, meet our pastor. We have a gift for you if you're your first time guest with us. So let's pray, and we'll continue to worship. Father God, we thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather with joy and praise. And uh, we just lift our hearts to you this morning uh, in praise of who you are and what you've done. But we also open ourselves up to hear from you and what you have to say to us as we try to follow in, in who you are and follow in your footsteps as you um, lead us uh, to grow your kingdom and to share your love and to ultimately glorify you, God. So uh, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this opportunity to gather and bless this worship and it may be honoring to you. And we pray this in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and let's sing together. Oh Lord, put your life upon me. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name, Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe.
so much. We do believe for your miracles. We know that you can change lives. You can repair relationships. You can heal wounds. And we believe for it, Lord. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our glory. We have seen you do mighty things before, and we believe you will do them again. Lord, I ask you now to be with Dr. Cox as he comes and brings your message. May you be glorified. May we hear the words that you want to speak to us today, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see you today. Great worship today. What a joy to sing of the hope that's in Jesus Christ. Thank you, uh, Todd and praise team, for leading us. So glad you're here. Let me add my welcome uh, to those of you who are guests with us. I met some folks uh, before our service who are here for the first time. Others, if you haven't met, I'd love to visit with you at the Welcome Center. Come by and see me after the service. And we're so glad you're a part of our church. Invite you to get connected with connection groups and Wednesday night and and, uh, other things. We got all that info at the Welcome Center. We're glad you're here. So let's talk about bananas for a few minutes this morning, okay? Uh, I've got a picture I want to show you here of the stages of ripeness of a banana. And I'm going to ask you to vote which of these bananas, if you're going to eat a banana, which of these is your choice for a banana, okay? You say, why are we doing this? Well, just hang with me for a few minutes and, and you'll, you'll understand. But for now, uh, we're going to vote on which of these bananas. So number one's all green, number two's got a little yellow, three's yellow with green at the tops. Four's got the spots. Do you like a few spots? Five, you know, it's got a lot of spots. Six, seven. So, now first of all, how many of you would say, I'm not eating a banana under any circumstances? Would you please raise your hand? I'm, all right, you folks are out. You're not playing in this game. Thank you. We're, we're glad you're here, and you just hang with us for a few moments. All right, if uh, your banana of choice is number one, would you raise your hand? Really? We got one or two for number one. Okay, number two. We got a few twos. I'm a little surprised there. Three. How about three? Yeah, now we're getting to, it's going to be like a bell curve, isn't it? Okay, three. A lot of threes. Four. How about four? Oh, I don't know which of those threes and fours. That's about the same. Fives? Five. Oh, not very many fives. A few fives. What about six? Any six? No six? Then there's no seven, right? Anybody at seven? Okay, so... Uh, uh, most of you are threes or fours with a few twos, ones, and fives. How about that? Isn't that amazing how people are different? Uh, my wife Cindy is here, and Cindy uh, does some textures of food she doesn't like. I, I always kid Cindy, there's 30 minutes in the life of a banana when she'll eat it. I mean, it's a, it's a narrow, it's a very narrow range. It, too green, too green, too right. You know, 30 minutes. There's about 30 minutes in the life of a banana when she'll eat, right? That, that's about right. You know, hers is like a 3.1278 or something like that. That's, that's where she's going to eat it. So, got another picture of bananas. So, uh, how many of you think that these bananas are, are too ripe to eat? How many of you think they're just right? Some of you think they're just right, some too. How, one more. How many of you think these are just right to eat? Oh, we don't get anybody? Nobody? Most of you then, I think, are saying these are too ripe. Maybe banana bread, maybe. Banana bread, maybe. But to eat, you're saying they're too ripe, right? 
Okay, well, why are we doing this? Let me tell you. I'm preaching through the book of Amos, one of the Old Testament prophets. And the theme of the book of Amos that we've seen is the lion has roared, who will not fear. That's my understanding of the theme. That's Amos 3.8. It's about the judgment of God. He's coming like a lion, and there ought to be a fear of him and of his judgment. And we've tried to recapture a healthy fear of the judgment of God. Amos 1 through 6 is his sermons, and now we're in Amos 7 through 9, where it is visions that God is showing Amos, and these are visions about the end, about coming judgment. And uh, today we're going to look at the fourth of those visions, and it is in Amos chapter 8, verse 1. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. We've had that formula for all of the first three visions. A basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The literal translation of these verses, if you have a King James Version, Christian Standard Bible, English Standard Version, more literal translation, it literally says the vision was of a basket of summer fruit. And then he said, the end has come for my people. It's a play on words in Hebrew, but it's hard for us to capture that in English. The play on words is the word for summer fruit, and the word for end same, sounds almost exactly the same in Hebrew. Cats and cats are the, the two words. And so the NIV has tried to capture that word play by translating both of these ripe. And I think that's certainly the meaning. He shows him a basket of summer fruit, fruit that doesn't last long, fruit that is going to spoil quickly. And he says, here's a basket of cats, and the cats is coming for Israel. The end is coming. And so the NIV translates it and shows him a basket of ripe fruit, and you are ripe for judgment. He says, I will spare them no longer. The first two visions were of locusts and fire and God allowed Amos to intercede and to pray, and he held back those visions, he, those uh, judgments. But in the last two, you find this, this uh, phrase, I will spare them no longer. For the plumb line, we have this phrase, and now again, I will spare them no longer. So now, the end has come. The time of forestalling judgment and of intercession and of revival and repentance, it's too late for that now. They had the opportunity for that, but now... I will spare them no longer, the end is coming. So this chapter tells us about the end that's coming for, for Israel. Verse 3 says, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. So the worship songs, like we've sung so beautifully, will be replaced by funeral songs, and many, many bodies flung everywhere, silence. What a terrible picture. But judgment is coming. And so why is this judgment coming? One more time, God reminds the people of their sins that were bringing this judgment in verses 4 through 6, and they are sins of injustice and dishonesty and greed and oppression and lack of integrity, cheating and lying. And those are the things that God says are part of the reason you're going to experience this end. Verse 5, let's, or verse 4, let's begin and read these. Hear this, you who trample the needy, 
and do away with the poor of the land. You've had no compassion. You're oppressive in your business practices. You've not considered the poor. Saying, verse 5, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat? So every week on the Sabbath, of course, they rested and they could not do business like the stock markets closed on the weekend. Well, also once a month when the new moon, that was the first day of their month, and on the new moon, it was a holiday. I like having a holiday every month, wouldn't you? And uh, so they did have to do, you can read about it in Numbers 28, 11. They had to do a burnt offering on that day, and they rested. So everything was closed on that day once a month. Well, they were observing this. There was outward religion, but it was empty, and they just wanted, wait, couldn't wait for it to be over. When is this going to be over so we can get back to doing marketing things and cheating people? And it wasn't having any effect on their Monday through Friday lives. When will the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat skimping on the measure? So they're dishonest in their business practices. They're skimping the measure. Have you, have you bought a half gallon of ice cream lately? It's not a half gallon anymore. It used to be a five-pound bag of flour. It's not five pounds anymore, is it, or sugar? They have skimped the measure. Now, that's not totally dishonest because they do label what it is, but this was the kind of thing that they were doing without changing the label, skimping the measure, boosting the price, so there was price gouging going on, and cheating with dishonest scales. So they would have balanced scales, and if you bought a I want five pounds of flour. So they put a basket on one side and get a weight out and put it on the other. And when that equals, you've got five pounds of flour. Well, if you want to cheat, you use a heavier weight when you're buying than when you're selling. And both of them say five pounds on the weight. But I'd like to sell you five pounds. Okay, let me get this weight out. You get more that way and you give less. That's dishonest scales. In the excavations of Samaria, they have found dual sets of weights labeled the same. Buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. So they were selling people into slavery for small debts. For minimal indebtedness, they would sell people into slavery. You're selling the needy for a pair of sandals and selling even the sweepings with the wheat. And so you buy a bushel of wheat, but the, the chaff that has fallen, you sweep it up, mix it in with there, and you're giving them less wheat, and, and you're giving them some of the sweepings with the wheat. And so God cares about these things. God cares about your honesty, your integrity, your righteousness, your compassion for the poor, your justice. And, you know, I, I talked with a teacher in the foyer uh, this morning before the 8.30 service, and he said to me, I work with people sending folks into careers, and he says, you know what the thing that they are saying that is missing the most in current employees that are applying today? He said, integrity. I didn't ask him for that. He didn't know I was going to preach on this. He was just talking to me about his frustration. He said, just, there's not integrity. God cares about integrity. And if you want to please God, be a person who's true to your word, who doesn't steal, who doesn't cheat, who doesn't lie, and in your business dealings that you are honest and fair. That's what God says here. So because of these sins, here's what's going to happen. Verse 7, the Lord says, 
the Lord has sworn by himself, the pride of Jacob, I'll never forget anything they've done. God doesn't forget. And so here's what the day, the end, will be like. Will not the land tremble for this and all who mourn in it? It'll be, like a, it'll be such a time of upheaval, it'll be like an earthquake. The whole land will rise like the Nile and be stirred up and then sink like the river of, of Egypt. Every year the Nile River in the spring floods the plains of the delta of the Nile, deposits that rich soil, makes, makes a great place for crops, but it's a huge thing. Every year it rises and falls, and he says the whole land is going to rise and fall like the Nile Delta. It's going to be a time of upheaval. Verse 9, he says it'll be like an eclipse. It'll be, such a, it'll be a shaking like an like a earthquake. It'll be a day of darkness like an eclipse. Verse 9, I'll make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. In verse 10, it'll be like a funeral. It'll be such a day of mourning. I'll turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping and I'll make all you wear sackcloth and shave your heads and I'll make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. And in verse 11, he says that there's coming a time of famine. Remember, earlier in the book of Amos, we saw that God had allowed times of physical famine and drought to try to bring them back to him, and those had not worked. He said, you have not turned to me. So now there'll be a famine, not of water and of food, but a famine of the word of God. He says, the days are coming when I'll send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And so... He says, now I've sent prophets, and you're not listening to these prophets, so there'll be a famine of that. Verse 12, people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. It'll be too late. So there'll be a hunger for the word of God in day of judgment, but it'll be too late then, because God has already cast the die. It is already in operation a time of judgment. Today, we have such access to the word of God, don't we? So much preaching in churches and Bibles. But God says, if you don't heed that, then I can take that away as well as food and there'll be a famine of the Word of God and people will long for some direction, some guidance, and it won't be there because it's too late. And so after the Old Testament time, there was 400 years of silence where God sent no prophet until He sent John the Baptist and Jesus. And so He says there'll be a famine of the Word of God. And verse 13 describes that even the strongest will faint in that day. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sins of Samaria and who say, as surely as your God lives, Dan, as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they'll fall, fail, never to rise again. God says, I'm going to destroy the nation of Israel because of these sins. How do we apply this passage to us? Let me suggest three applications of this passage, of ripeness and of the end. Uh, First of all, the time becomes ripe for nations. So God is saying, by this vision of a basket of summer or ripe fruit, you're dead ripe for judgment. The time comes for nations, and he's trying to tell Israel, now it's already too late for repentance, but I want to tell you what's going to happen so that when it happens, you'll understand this was the judgment of God. So we think Amos prophesied about 750 B.C. It could be a few years before or after. You can read Amos 1.1. It gives the overlap of the reign of two kings of Judah and Israel, and those fit about 750. We do know an exact date for when this 
prophecy came true, 721 B.C., so 30 or so years after Amos spoke this. Within 30 years, God did what he said would happen in this chapter. Now, Israel at this time was at the height of economic prosperity. Remember, they got summer homes and winter homes. Remember all that? Ivory inlaid beds. Remember all that we read about earlier in the chapter? So things are going great. It looks like things are going great economically, politically. They're, they're, really, they're better off than Judah to the south. But morally and spiritually, they're rotten and they're ripe for judgment. And so God says, your outward economic conditions are not an indicator of where you are on my timeline. You're ripe for judgment. Let's put the bananas up there one more time. So, where's the United States of America on the scale of ripeness for God's judgment? I don't know. I don't know. I pray we're not a six or a seven. I pray we're not. I pray there's not a basket of summer fruit vision for us. I pray that we're further back and that we have time to repent, but I fear we're approaching a rightness for God's judgment. Where do you think we are on that scale? Let me share with you a second application. There's not only a time when nations become ripe, and even though they may seem to be going great, they're ripe for judgment because morally and spiritually they're corrupt and rotten. But the same thing is true of our world in general. The time becomes ripe for our world. Let me show you that in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 14 through 19. Let me read these verses to you. And it's a symbolic passage of angels with sickles, but I think you'll understand the meaning. Revelation 14, 14, I looked. And there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. You know what a, a sickle is? A curved blade used to, to cut down grain. And then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is what? Ripe. Comes a ripeness to our world. Our world had a beginning, our world will have an end, and when God says it's ripe, he's going to send his angels for the harvest. And he says, in verse 16, So he was seated on the clouds, swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe. And the angel swung his sickle on the earth and gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. And so there's coming a time of judgment upon our earth when God will say, it's done. It's, it's ripe. I don't know when that is, but that is a certainty on God's calendar. Jesus told a parable of the weeds when he said, The angels will come like harvesters, and they will harvest the people of the earth, and there will be a, a separation. He said, I know you can't tell completely now in this life, and there are, there's weeds among the wheat, and some of you get all worked up because of that and, and everything, and you don't follow Jesus because their people failed. And he said, you don't worry about that. Our angels will harvest, and they're going to separate that, and they'll gather into the Master's joy those who know him. Time comes right for our world. And there's a third application I would like to make of this vision. And that is the time becomes ripe for individuals. The time becomes ripe for individuals. 
your life and my life had a beginning, and your life and my life will have an end. And I think most of us don't ever think much about the end. God gave vision to Amos to say that the end is coming. It was the purpose of this vision. And, and if, if there really is an end followed by eternity, eternity, then it would really be smart for us to think about the end, wouldn't it? The devil does not want you to think about the end of your life. He'll distract you and divert you. But God loves you, and that's why God sends the Word and He sends preachers to you to get you to think about the reality of the end. And are you ready for that end of your life? And the New Testament tells us the only way to be ready for that end, to avoid the sickle of God's judgment and his, the winepress of His wrath, is that his wrath has already fallen on his son, his only son, whom he loves, Jesus, because he gave him up for you. And so if you'll put your faith in Jesus, you can avoid the day of wrath, and you can instead inherit an eternity in heaven. What a wonderful opportunity for those of us who are sinners. That's me, as you. Now, some people believe that intellectually and they don't do anything about it, especially younger people. So I want to talk to you who are younger for just a moment. And maybe you believe that there's coming an end and maybe you believe there's a heaven and a hell, but you just don't deal with that now because you think, i got plenty of time. We'll put the bananas up there one more time. And here's what some of you who are younger think. I recognize this. But you think there's a zero after every one of those numbers, and so it's not till the 70s that you're going to have to face that end. You're in the teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And you think, yeah, there's an end, but I'm in my 30s. Look at me. I look pretty good, don't I? I'm in my 40s. I don't look hardly as good, you know, but I'm, I'm still okay, you know, there. Here's my word to you people are not like bananas. We're not. Nations might be like bananas. People are not like bananas. I know that most of you are going to live to your 70s. That's just statistically true. But not all of you. Not all of us. And there's a rightness that comes for some of us much sooner. So the first reason, if you're young, is that you need to think about the end. Is You don't know when the end's going to come. You have no guarantee of anything but this moment that you're living in. But the second reason, if you're young, you need to think about the end and are you ready for eternity is because there comes a time, as we see from this passage, when you're overripe, when you miss the moment. It was too late for Israel to repent. Now, I believe that you can turn to Christ until your dying day, but I think you're less likely to the more you put it off. You understand that? Here's the, what I would say to you. You are becoming today the person you'll, become, you'll be for all eternity. That's why you don't need to put it off. Not just because you might die in your 20s or might die in your 30s or might die in your 40s, but because you're becoming the person you'll always be. Let me show it to you in the book of Acts, chapter 24, verse 24. Paul was before Felix, the governor, 
And it says in Acts 24, 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. And as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. What was happening? He was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He was thinking about the end and the end of his own life and judgment. And he was afraid. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? But he didn't act upon that conviction in that moment and give his life to Christ like he should have. That was the right moment for him. That was the moment. But look what happens. He was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. And he put it off to a convenient time when now was the day of salvation. That was the time for him. That's when he was ripe for salvation. That's when God was dealing with him. And he could if he turned to Christ later, sure. But there was, when you reject that conviction, you harden your heart. And so look at the next verse. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. So he kept getting Paul back, but now his thoughts are not about that alarm and that end of his life in righteousness and judgment and self-control. He thought, can I profit off of this? And when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor, he left Paul in prison. So he missed the moment of conviction and of rightness and I'm saying to you if you're younger the first reason you need to turn to Christ now is you don't know if you're gonna live another day second you're becoming the person you'll be for all eternity and it becomes harder for you when you reject the conviction of Christ to change the third reason is the third reason is the life in Jesus Christ is the best life in the world. This is not something that you would ideally point off right before you die and then do it. The best thing is to know Christ because He made you for life and He knows what your life is going to be the most fulfilling, the happiest, the most joyful, the most purposeful is to be in Him. Run to that now because the best days for your life ahead would be found in faith in Jesus Christ. He made life. He knows how it should run. And you'll have the best life possible for you when you turn to Jesus Christ. So what's the timing in your life? What is God saying to you that you need to do? Whatever you need to do for God, you need to do today. You're going to be a better husband someday? You need to do it today. You're going to be a better wife someday? You need to do it today. You're going to talk to somebody about Jesus? You need to do it today. You got on your mind that sometime I'm going to get involved in church and serve Him? You don't know that you've got some time. You've only got today. You think that sometime, yes, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, then you ought to do it today because today's all that you know you have and today is the beginning of the best life for you. October 10th, 1871, Dwight L. Moody, a preacher of the 1800s, an evangelist, Moody Institute, Moody Radio, named for him, Dwight L. Moody was preaching on a Sunday night, October 10th, 1871, preaching to a large crowd of hundreds and hundreds of people, preaching on a series of sermons on Bible characters, telling them about people who had met Jesus. At the end of his sermon, he said, I've shared with you how to become a Christian. I want you to go home and think about this. I want you to make a decision that will be meaningful and lastful. I want you to come back next Sunday, and I'm going to give you an invitation to receive Christ as Savior.
while Ira Sankey was leading the closing hymn, they began to hear fire bells ringing. Bong, bong, bong. It was the night of the great Chicago fire. They came out of church and could see the glow on the horizon of, of buildings burning. Chicago was almost all wood. The sidewalks were wood. The walls were wood. The roofs were wood. Everything was wood. That night, Chicago burned 3.3 square miles. Moody and his family went to bed, thought the fire was contained, woke up at 1 a.m. The fire had leaped the river. It burned the church that they had been in a few hours later, earlier. It burnt the, the house that he was in. Moody would later say, I got out with my Bible and my reputation, and that's all. His family was safe, but they lost everything. 300 people died in Chicago that night. 100,000 were left homeless. The great Chicago fire. Dwight L. Moody would say the rest of his ministry, I'll never do that again. Never again will I stand and preach about the name of Jesus Christ and tell people go home and think about it and come back next Sunday night and we're going to give an invitation, you come. Moody said that haunts me all of my life of those people who are sitting in that great hall who did not have the opportunity then to respond to Christ because they did not have another week and I did not know it at the time. And God gives us a vision of a basket of ripe fruit and says the time is ripe. What is the ripeness in your life? Would you respond to him? I'm going to ask our praise team to come and lead us in a, in a song, and I'm going to ask you in just a moment to stand with me, and I'm going to invite you today to do whatever God wants you to do, to do it today. He's talking to you about your marriage, about your home, about your family, about your witness, about your integrity, about your business, and it's not following God's business practices, and you need to repent of that. Is he talking to you about coming to faith in Jesus Christ? This is the moment he's given you today as a day of salvation. And I'm going to invite you, if you want to accept Christ, to come walk forward and take me by the hand to say, I want to today to receive the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. I'll be baptized. I'll become a follower of him. Would you stand together with me? God's speaking to you. Would you respond right now?
You can have a seat for just a moment. Just want to direct your attention to a couple of reminders there in the worship guide. You can see the CDP classes are listed there. Uh, they follow prayer service on Wednesday nights. Um, we've got a grief care group beginning back up again. It'll just meet uh, there for about a, a month. And so if that's uh, something you'd like to be a part of, you can check that out. Church picnic that was rained out last week has been rescheduled for next week. And so um, you can see it begins at 4 o'clock. There'll be activities and fun things to do there. Um, it's there by shelter number one. So as you're pulling down into Fred Dedden Park, it's the, the shelter, the first one there on your left there by the playground. And so there's plenty of activities for young kids um, on up. And so come be a part of that church picnic. It's a, a great time to hang out and just fellowship with each other. You can see that Upward uh, is, the registration is now available. You can see the website on there. And so begin to think about who you can invite, uh, maybe a neighbor, maybe a grandchild, maybe a friend. Uh, to come and be a part of, of our Upward Basketball uh, program here at the church. So it's a great program. And so um, be, be thinking about how, who you can invite to come and be a part of that program uh, this year. So please, uh, you know, follow up with things in here that you need to, to look into or, or whatever be a part of. I um, also just want to remind you that um, it's our practice. Our, our uh, offering boxes are there on the back wall. And so, man, we just saying about how good God is to us. Amen. And so we want to be faithful in, in worship and giving back to him as well. And so you can do that as you're, as you're exiting the doors there as well. Let me close this out in prayer, and we'll be dismissed this morning. Father, we thank you that your uh, ways are perfect, that your grace is just lavished upon us. And, uh, Father, that we can say over and over again that you're good to us. And so we just want to say thank you. Father, help us to be mindful of your calling on our, our lives, um, your, your calling to, to share the gospel with others. Father, maybe uh, one of us in here need to go home and, and share the good news of, of your grace and your gospel with somebody else or with a neighbor. And so, Father, we pray uh, that we're mindful that uh, the time could be near and we don't know. And so help us to live for you. Lord, we thank you for your love and uh, be with us this week. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. How perfect.